Uh, our Father, we do want to thank you that uh, you have wonderfully showed us your love. And we thank you that you have showed us how to love. And we pray, therefore, that you would please help us to do those two things that uh, we were encouraged earlier to do, that we might listen, live under your authority, and love. And we pray that we might do that, to be like Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen. So Romans chapter 13, and I'm going to be read, read the whole chapter, which is only 14 verses. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Will you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be, subject, uh, must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honour to whom honour is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let's walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I'm going to pause there and the children will leave for their group and then we'll pick up Romans chapter 13. So don't shut the page 
we'll be back there very shortly okay well let's get back to Romans chapter 13 and ask this simple question uh, what's the difference between religion and Christianity it's one of these things that we we kind of say actually no Christianity is not religion but what is the difference between the two well I wonder if I can explain it like this the religion uh, is something that normally happens within a religious building so certain religions use temples Muslims use mosques uh, places of religion and there is a, a version a religious version of Christianity that sees the church buildings are the thing that's important but real Christianity is something that you leave church to do we saw that last week in Romans chapter 12 and in chapter 12 verse 1 we present our bodies our whole lives to God uh, so not just a bit that's uh, in the religious building at the time and that leads very quickly for us to serve our Christian family in ways that mostly happen outside of church service in the way we contribute to them and care for them and we also love people who persecute us that is people who are nowhere near inside a church normally outside and we love people who are not lovable we only want to bless them and do good to them so all that is uh, going to happen Romans 12 is largely going to happen outside church and today drives in that truth that where there is a desire to follow Jesus it is seen outside in our submission to authority in our love for everyone and we'll conclude by seeing how it's seen in our desire to wake up every day not just Sundays to live like Jesus so that's the road that we're going to go down and uh, the uh, most of it I guess you would have seen from uh, the Bible reading ourselves and you will see uh, Paul telling us at the start of Romans chapter 13 how governments revealed the greatness of God as their supreme ruler so the main thing to learn about from chapter 13 is not that you should go out and pay taxes which is really boring the main thing to see is that governments reveal the greatness of God and we're going to be learning things that actually most people uh, would be completely startled and amazed by so for example in this country most people think that uh, governments come by the will of the people and what Romans 13 tells us is that governments come not by the will of the people but by the authority of God so it turns on its head what we normally think and we might think well okay this is now really going into silly land because we all know that God can't be in charge of people running countries because so much bad happens under the leadership of various nations so we're into some sort of dream world if we think that God's in charge the Bible isn't really connected to real life is it if it tells us that God's the one who's in charge of all this evil that's going on that people do 
And yet when you pick up the Bible and you look at it closely, you might just discover that it's closer to the real world than we think. So bad rulers, does that mean that God's not in charge? Well, let me tell you, Paul is writing, and the ruler at that time was the emperor Nero, who was a menace to God's people as well as his own subjects. And there are bad rulers everywhere, and you get the worst of them in the Bible. It is really in touch with the evils of man. So that Jesus Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate. We know that uh, Herod, uh, not Herod, uh, Pharaoh in Egypt was awful to his slaves. And when you get to the last book of the Bible, the state is actually described as a beast. And yet even though it's inhuman in that way, the Bible wants to tell us Jesus reigns. And so the Bible is very much in touch with reality. The worst leaders are here, and yet God rules over them. And can I just uh, emphasize that point by saying that that is true however those leaders get into power, whether through democratic election, as it happens in our country, or by coup d'etat, as it happens in some countries, or by revolution, or by hereditary rule, where the dad leaves it to the son who follows down the family line. However people get into power, all are appointed as agents of God. In fact, it is quite staggering that even though we're talking about people like Nero and those who come into power in all sorts of uh, strange and um, uh, uh, sometimes violent ways, that they are all called ministers of God in verse 6. Staggering word, because it's a word that's used for the priests that work in the Jewish temple, the kind of word that you would use for a pastor today. And these ministers are nonetheless, uh, the same word is given to people who are in government and who rule over us. They are that much under the control and direction of God. In fact, actually, uh, because Britain has had Christian roots for so long, a lot of Romans chapter 13 has been absorbed into the political language in our country. So when people are in charge of a particular um, uh, aspect of government, they are called ministers. And it's the ministry of education. They're all drawn out of Romans chapter 13. Uh, the Theresa May is the prime minister, the first servant, literally, of God. And so we do see that uh, that is how much God controls them. Now, every government, actually not just the bad ones, everyone is partial and temporary and imperfect. And yet all of them, in verse 4, are servants of God. Because however bad they are, we live under them and they rule and bring God's rule 
to us because if they weren't in charge they would ultimately leave places in chaos because however bad they are they do aim to do what Romans 13 tells us to start they are aiming to limit evil and promote good and every bad government in some way does do something along those lines there may be other evils that they do off their own bat but generally that is the control that they bring it's like a classroom a classroom under a bad teacher is better than a classroom with no teacher and so God uses rulers to that purpose to if you like prevent hell on earth where people could do whatever they want to do and get away with it you can go down the street and some kid on a scooter will come and do whatever he wants to and he can just carry on doing it because there's no one in charge except there is in charge and we got someone arrested didn't we last week and uh, the court case will be coming up soon God's agents are there and they don't bear the sword in vain now I really don't think any other religion presents God in this kind of way but in the end Christians believe we want to submit to God's authority because this recognizes his greatness so even though the ruler may be under uh, not wanting to live under God's authority nonetheless we submit to their authority because we want to live under God's authority that is why how we pray for our government uh, in church on Sunday and in fact actually it's a good thing for us to do that uh, right through the week not just in the building but to submit to authority in that way it's good that we hand over our burglary or whatever it is to the police on the Monday so that God's agent can be put in charge of, of uh, um, putting that right it's why we pay our taxes uh, on uh, Tuesday it's why we drive to the speed limit on Wednesday it's why yes Charles we pay our television license on Thursday because verse 2 is right whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed those who resist will incur judgment so we want to recognize God's greatness is far bigger than anything we see just uh, over the realm of church we want to see his greatness uh, over the world and so therefore we do it and not just to uh, avoid judgment but for the sake of conscience that is because it is the right thing to do and therefore we want to honor God as we do it so governments reveal the greatness of God and we acknowledge that in every way and opportunity that we can but the second thing that we need to learn from this is that law is love is glued to the law you see that in verses 8 to 10 
Now, Christians may wonder, actually, if you've read the first bit of Romans, uh, what part the law has to play in our thinking, because we discovered in the early bit that the law actually doesn't lead to a friendship with God, quite the opposite. The law tells us how often we have broken it and therefore deserve God not to be our friend. And so therefore we put the law to one side and just look entirely at what the Lord Jesus did on the cross who fulfilled the law for us and we trust him. We don't look to the law to get us to God. But when we get to Romans chapter 13, we see how we must look to the law if we are going to love uh, other people. So imagine this conversation. This is how it works, and it'll help you to remember it if you can just think of it like this. You go to Mr. Love, and you say, Mr. Love, how do I love people? And Mr. Love says, well, I'm terribly sorry, but you've got to go and speak to Mr. Law. So you go to Mr. Law and you say, Mr. Law, how do I obey the law? He said, I'm afraid uh, that is uh, something that uh, Mr. Love will help you to do. You just can't uh, uh, go from one without going to the other. Now that's important actually for us to realize because a lot of people separate the love from the law. So you go to a person, anyone I imagine, who's committing adultery, and you say to them, why are you doing this? And they will say, because we love each other. And so therefore we're breaking the law. But when you open up the Bible, what you discover is that if you love someone, you won't commit adultery. And if you commit adultery, you don't actually love. You see how law and love are glued. So no, owe no one anything except to love each other. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because in the previous section, uh, you can get to the limit of what you owe the government. Once you pay your taxes, that's it. You don't owe them anything more. But when it comes to loving people, well, I'm afraid that's a bill you will never pay. Your obligation is never over. But it is strange, isn't it, to look at verse 8 and say, owe no one anything but to love them? What does that mean? I mean, normally you owe somebody something if they've given you something and then you owe them. What is it that people have given us that we should owe them love? I want to suggest to you that one way of looking at it is to say actually what they give you is an opportunity to love. And at that point you owe them love. So there's uh, uh, this woman, uh, drop dead gorgeous, walking past. Don't look around. Um, <laughs> I'm making her up, okay? Um, and, and she's got her summer dress on, or what Verona would probably describe as her summer undress. Um, and, and there she is walking. Now, how do we love someone like that? She's giving me an opportunity to love her by obeying the law, by not thinking about taking her to bed. 
uh, here's my neighbor and um, also fictitious he wouldn't do a thing like this he's far too nice but say he lights a bonfire next to the washing line okay uh, what's he doing he is giving me an opportunity to love so that I don't murder him at least not internally which is probably what I'd want to do at least give him a verbal strangling of the neck um, but it's just something that I have at that moment in time an opportunity to love not murder you get the point don't you and therefore if our neighbor um, uh, is there and they give us an opportunity to love them then owe them nothing but love pay back that debt that they are uh, giving you it is such a wonderful thing is it to look at opportunities in that kind of way it makes such a difference imagine how much it gives dignity to a person's work say you're a Christian road sweeper what wakes you up in the morning what are you doing when you're sweeping the roads? such a mundane thing no one notices it but but you're doing it because you owe people love doing it to love them so you can see can't you that uh, Christianity unlike religion is not locked up in a church it is going outside the church to owe people love every way we can to show our confidence in God's authority by obeying those in government over us any way we can so how might this affect us what can we take home well if you aren't Christian and God's opened your eyes to see that and it does actually take uh, a supernatural work for someone to realize they're not Christian because many people think that they're actually all right but the key thing to pick up from this part of the Bible is this blindingly obvious message that God reigns and therefore if God reigns over the rulers of the world what is his message to you again blindingly obvious isn't it submit to him as your ruler live in recognition of his greatness don't think that he is uh, invisible and out of sight and out of mind And be honest with yourself. Repent the way that your life has jettisoned his laws and cry out to him for mercy and help for you to live for him. Now, not just to come to church, but to live for him. That's you. I wonder if you could get in touch. Uh, maybe we can chat after service. I'd love to encourage you to see God's greatness to live in the light of it as your personal king and ruler what happens if you've been to church lots well it's easy isn't it for us to get the love law connection wrong <laughs> certainly to apply law to other people and to probably do it in a fairly unloving way and when we do that we break 
the law that we're trying to keep and telling people to keep. Because what this passage tells us, what we owe people is our love. And wherever we reach out for the law, it is always for love reasons. And therefore we, and I think this is the trap of a lot of churchianity that we have, is that we can see Christianity as a religion, largely something that happens within the four walls of a religious building. And we need to see that real Jesus following is to do with a week-long honouring of God's ministers outside church and loving others in every opportunity that they give us. What happens if you're a real believer? Can I just ask you at this point to glance at verses 11 to 14? Because I think they're really interesting and helpful for us. You see here, what the problem that Paul wants to address is the problem of the sleepy Christian. Can you see that in verse 11? That's the problem. But here's the thing. When someone is asleep, they actually look like someone who has died. Don't they? In other words, what Paul is saying here is that the, the sleepy Christian is in the way he describes it, go on in, in verse uh, uh, um, 13, the sleepy Christian is, is living a lifestyle that looks very much like the dead non-Christian. And the things that Paul talks about in verse 13 um, are certainly sexual uh, in the way that they're described here. And those things normally happen at night, don't they? The kind of things generally, as a rule, it's quite a, a helpful way of summarizing it, nighttime stuff. I think generally porno pornography is a nighttime activity. Uh, that's when it gets watched and by Christians need to be honest and wake up is Paul's alarm call salvation is near don't keep on living your life so that there's no difference between you in your sleep and the non-Christian who is dead wake up says Paul salvation is near than when we first believed. Just look at your life. Look at all the years and the months and the weeks that have gone by. And now the day has nearly come. Wake up before it's too late. And Paul just lived in that, in that zone, didn't he? He lived as if life was short. And look at how much Paul crammed into his life because he lived with that frame of mind. And so therefore, think life is short. And put as much into your life, into each day, that will make you like Jesus. And take as much out that gets in the way of being like Jesus. That may be a good way of remembering verse 14.
and therefore we stop going to sleep and wake up to seek the opportunity, cram the day full of uh, ways that would make us more like Jesus than like the sleepy non-Christian who's just like the world. And it's a wonderful thing, I think, to live with that, to wake up in the morning and to wake ourselves up and to think ourselves like this right through the week, every morning, not just Sundays. Now, my friends, this could be God's word to you. It could really be God's word to you. Wake up. Your life is too much like the dead non-Christian world around you. Apart from Sundays, you're indistinguish- indistinguishable from others who are ultimately without any life at all. Wake up could be God's urgent message and we need to take that home. But let's pray that God will uh, uh, underline these things in our hearts. Maybe just in a moment of quiet, uh, take uh, a minute Uh, you talk to God about what he's saying to you this evening and then after a minute I'll close in prayer and uh, good to look at questions that you might have but let's pray silently first and a minute to do that well let me pray as we finish Heavenly Father you are God who is more wonderfully in charge of our world than we often realize and we pray that you would please help us therefore to proclaim and acknowledge your greatness as we submit to the structures you put over us and help us to take every opportunity to love others and to max out each day in living for you and we ask this in Jesus name Amen Mm -hmm.